Welcome to the podcast of Jessup First United Methodist Church, featuring our pastor, Rebecca Duke-Barton. Our psalm for today is Psalm 110. It's a psalm of David. It goes with the passage that we'll read from Hebrews. So let's listen prayerfully. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends out from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your foes. Your people will offer themselves willingly on the day you lead your forces on the holy mountains. From the womb of the morning, like dew, your youth will come to you. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter heads over the wide earth. He will drink from the stream by the path. Therefore, he will lift up his head. members at Jessup First United Methodist Church called me this week to wish me a happy birthday. And one thing you can always count on with Miss Burt is that she will have a joke. So she told me this. In a Catholic school cafeteria, there was a basket of apples. A nun placed a note in front of the apples. Only take one. God is watching. A little boy saw that note. But then as he kept going on down the line, there was a plate of cookies. So he made his own note beside the cookie plate. Take all you want. God is watching the apples. Last week, our lessons from Hebrews brought to our attention that we have a tendency to deceive ourselves. We think we can hide from God. If God is busy watching the apples, he won't notice our gluttony of eating too many cookies. If God is in the church building, then it doesn't matter what we do outside of the church building because God isn't watching there. It was the problem of Adam and Eve. They thought God couldn't see them if they couldn't see him. But sin is deceitful, and it pulls us into the lies. And before you know it, we have a belly full of cookies and the stomach ache that follows and the long-term consequences of a lifetime of too many cookies. Or if it's not cookies for you, it's gossip that tears other people down and hurts your own soul as you become someone who isn't trustworthy. Or it's bitterness towards someone else that you nurture until it grows into full-blown hatred and you've choked out the love and the peace that God planned for your life. Sin is sneaky. It pulls us away from the God who loves us. But what we learn from Hebrews is that though sin may be deceitful, Jesus and His grace is greater than all our sin. This is where we pick up with Hebrews. We'll read chapter 4, beginning at verse 14, and then into chapter 5. Hebrews 4.14 Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Chapter 5. Every high priest chosen from among mortals is put in charge of things pertaining to God on their behalf, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward, since he himself is subject to weakness. And because of this, he must offer sacrifice for his own sins, as well as those of the people. And one does not presume to take this honor, but takes it only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself in becoming a high priest, but was appointed by the one who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and having been made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, having been designated by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I'm from a long line of preachers. Both my father and grandfather were Methodist preachers. My father-in-law and mother-in-law are both ordained in the Disciples of Christ denomination. It's kind of our family business. My father still is in ministry, and even though he's retired, gets called on to do things often. My grandfather died when I was 13, but I will still occasionally have people come up to me at conference events or comments on Facebook to say what an influence he was in their lives. I am proud of my preacher family line. And yet I recognize that we are all human. I know I can get tired and cranky. Hangry is a real thing. I get overwhelmed by all that has to be done. I say things I wish I could take back. I am impatient. It's what Hebrews tells us. We are to deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward because we ourselves are subject to weakness. In fact, priests in a system that makes sacrifices for the sins of the people have to include a sacrifice for their own sins. It seems like we've been in a season in the body of Christ where we keep finding out that so many pastors with large ministries have secret sins. They may be anointed by God, but they take that opportunity to make themselves great, to give in to their own desires. They seem to think God isn't washing the plate of cookies that they're eating from. It's never a good idea to put preachers up on a pedestal. We weren't made to be celebrities. We preachers can be a mess sometimes, just like the folks in the pews. Hebrews says that we are to deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward because we're also subject to weakness. That's been true of every preacher or priest who has ever lived, all except one. How grateful I am that we have a high priest who understands. He understands our weakness, our desires, our temptations. He's been tested in every way we have 
yet without sin. But instead of taking the opportunity to taunt the rest of us that we can't live up to the standard he set, Jesus sympathizes with our weakness. Hebrews tells us that when Jesus was in the flesh, he offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. Jesus knows us. He knows the cries of our hearts. It's precisely because of this, his sympathy with our human plight, but his sinless nature, that puts Jesus in the place where he can serve as the connection, the mediator between humans and God. That's what a priest does, goes before God on behalf of the people. Because of him, we can approach the throne of grace with boldness. Jesus has made the way for us. Lawson Bryan, who just retired from serving as our bishop, tells a story about a prayer he would pray every Wednesday night at prayer meeting. Lord, he would say, clean out the cobwebs of sin from my life. Those cobwebs of sin keep coming back and taking over. You know how cobwebs can do. Lord, just take them all out of my life. Eventually, the man next to him stopped him to say, don't do it, Lord. Don't clean out the cobwebs. Kill the spider. That's what Jesus does for us. Not just clean us up to fall back into the spider web of sin again. Through his sacrificial death, he broke the power of sin in our lives. He became the great high priest who offered up the ultimate sacrifice once and for all. And so we approach the throne of grace and find grace and mercy in our time of need. Now, our ears hear this and are ready to move on to the next thing. Jesus is the great high priest. Got it. Hallelujah, y'all. I'm glad I don't have to offer up a lamb and sacrifice for my own sins and the sins of the people because Jesus has done it. But the first people to hear the words of Hebrews would have said, hold up a minute. Priests have particular requirements. Jesus is great, no doubt, but he didn't fulfill all the requirements of being a priest. Oh, he fulfilled some of them. Clearly, he's called by God. Clearly, he's just and righteous. But he isn't in the family line of Aaron. You can read his genealogy in Matthew or Luke and see that. He wasn't part of the tribe of Levi. He's not qualified to be a priest. I serve on the board of ministry for South Georgia that interviews prospective preachers coming into the Methodist Church, and it's a lot of work. They have to submit a sermon and a Bible study, a series of criminal and financial background checks, and answer questions about theology and doctrine. Theology and doctrine is the team I serve on, and we're tough. Plus, we want to hear the prospective preacher's sense of calling from God. We want preachers with a heart strangely warmed and a life shaped by the likeness of Christ. We ask, are you going on to perfection? And the answer needs to be yes. It is always so hard when someone has submitted subpar work, even though I know they are doing effective ministry. It hurts my heart to have to say, not this year, you don't meet the requirements. Ah, but the author of Hebrews recognizes that for Jesus, there's another priestly line that he's a part of. He's not from the line of Aaron, not from the tribe of Levi, but there's another high priest in Genesis a priest to whom Abraham came when he won a victory. Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, seems to appear out of nowhere in Genesis 14. 
in a book obsessed with genealogies, think about all of the begats in Genesis, Melchizedek appears with no mention of father or mother or any family. He didn't have any standard credentials to be a priest, yet Abraham treats him as one who is connected to the Most High God and who can stand between Abraham and God. Melchizedek gave Abraham a blessing. Blessed be Abram by God Most High, maker of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Melchizedek even brought bread and wine as part of the rites of thanksgiving, and Abraham gave him 10% of all of the spoils of victory. They had church right there. Luke Timothy Johnson points out that the name Melchizedek is really two words put together, king and righteousness. And he's from a city which means peace. Hold on to that idea for just a minute. We're coming right back to it. Melchizedek only comes up one other time in the Old Testament, in Psalm 110, which we read earlier. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews takes this idea and runs with it, that there's another order of priests that came before the line of Aaron and Levi. He was a priest of the Most High God. And so this King of Righteousness is coming to spread peace. And that is the priestly line of Jesus. What Hebrews tells us is that Jesus is then the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. I am grateful for the pastors that I have had in my life, but I am also grateful that I don't depend on them for eternal salvation. It's just Jesus. Our righteousness, our peace, our salvation, it all comes from him. Grace and mercy flow from the throne of grace in our time of need because of Jesus, our great high priest. And so if we read on in Hebrews, we read this in Hebrews six nineteen. We have this hope, a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters the inner shrine behind the curtain where Jesus, a forerunner on our behalf, has entered, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. You see, the order of Melchizedek isn't just some obscure trivia that the author of Hebrews pulled out from Genesis and makes fit his argument. It is a source of sure and steadfast hope in our lives. It is an anchor for our souls to know that Jesus is our great high priest. He's the forerunner on our behalf. He leads the way to God. Every autumn, I spend a lot of time at cross-country courses. I really think watching cross-country should count as a sport on its own because mostly they run off in the woods, but there are places where you can glimpse the race. And so we run from one opening to another to cheer our runners on. Some of the courses are a bit complicated, so they'll send someone to go first, usually on a golf cart or a bike, and that person is the forerunner to lead the way to the finish line. If the lead runner were to stop following the forerunner, there would be trouble. They would get off the course. You've got to follow the forerunner to get to the finish line. Leonard Sweet has written a leadership book that isn't about leadership. It's called I Am a Follower. He's one of our best minds in the Methodist Church, and his point is this. We don't need innovative leaders in the church. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but stick with me on this line of thought. We don't need people who are always trying to reinvent the wheel. 
We don't need new theology and new ways to find a path to God. We already have the way through Jesus, the great high priest. He's the forerunner. He's the way. He is our only way to salvation. He is our great high priest. So we don't need leaders. We already have a perfect leader. What we do need, though, is first followers. So Leonard Sweet says that a preacher should be the first follower, the one who's following the leader and bringing everybody else along to do the same. He uses the example of a dance at a wedding. Everyone sits around waiting for someone else to get on the floor and start dancing. And then once one person gets up and dances, everybody else joins in. So what he suggests is that this is who preachers should be, the first one on the dance floor, inviting everyone else to join the celebration. Just like in cross country, that first runner doesn't need to invent a new 5K as they go along. They just need to follow the forerunner and stay on the path that has already been made. Jesus is the great high priest. He connects us with God. So here's what I have to offer you as your pastor. I want to be the first follower. I am not without sin, but I can point you to the one who was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. I may stumble on the path, but I can point you to the one who never stumbles. I am at times ignorant and wayward, but I can introduce you to the one who is all wisdom and never leaves the path. I am in the race. I'm on the dance floor. I'm standing at the altar with our high priest, and I'm inviting you to come follow with me. I've been called by God to preach the word, order the church, and administer the sacraments, all to point you to the great high priest, the one who is our hope, the source of eternal salvation, the sure and steadfast anchor for our souls. Won't you come join me? Will you pray with me? Oh God, our Heavenly Father, we are grateful to have the great high priest who can bring us to you. He was the perfect sacrifice, not for his own sins, but for mine and for the sins of the whole world. Help me to follow you. And Lord, I pray for each person who hears these words that they would accept the gift of eternal salvation that you are offering through Christ. May you fill our lives with righteousness and peace as we put our hope in Jesus. Lord, give us the boldness to approach the throne of grace, knowing that we will find grace and mercy in our time of need. In the mighty name of our forerunner and great high priest, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the podcast of Jessup First United Methodist Church, with Rebecca Duke Barton. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit our website. It's jessupfumc.org. That's J-E-S-U-P-F-U-M-C dot org.